Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. Today, we're tackling the common questions that runners bring to the clinic about how to avoid injury and perform at their best. And sometimes it can feel like the ground is forever shifting for folks who work with runners, whether you work with high-performance athletes or the person who likes to run for physical and mental health a few times a week. In this intersection between technology, marketing, biomechanics and health, it can be hard to know where the research is at and also how to tease out what is marketing hype from the truth. And this is true for clinicians and patients alike. So today we hear from two clinicians who specialize in running injuries and performance, and they're going to cut through that confusing information to help you help the runners that you work with. Dr. Nathan Brown trained at the University of Delaware and has advanced training in biomechanics and running analysis. He's a board-certified orthopaedic clinical specialist who practices at Point Forward Physical Therapy in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, where he also helps lead the Point Forward Running Club. Dr. Matt Klein is a runner, physical therapist, and a PhD candidate at Azusa Pacific University. His research is focused on master's runners and Achilles tendinopathy, And Matt also works in the clinic at Kaiser Southern California's Baldwin Park Spine Centre. Matt's also the founder of the Doctors of Running website and Nathan is a senior contributor to Doctors of Running. Both host the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, which is a podcast that's focused on discussing the art and science behind the stuff that we put on our feet, which also includes in-depth reviews of the latest shoes hitting the market from over 20 brands. Nathan, Matt, welcome to JOSPT Insights. Thank you. We're excited to be here. We're very excited. Thank you for having us. Both got a ton of experience in the clinic, on the roads and on the trails as runners. Matt, can I start with you? Can you share with us what are the common issues or impairments that you see in runners that are contributing to poor performance or to injury or to both? That's a that's a really, really big question. I think we're going to have to to break it up a little bit, right? Because when we talk about performance and injuries, those two don't always go hand in hand. A lot of times, I think I personally, especially when I was in physiotherapy school, thought, oh, I'm going to learn all these things and it's going to address performance, stuff like that. Those don't always go hand in hand. A great example is previously, I think we're starting to move away from this a little bit, but kind of thinking that a couple of years ago, there was a big talk about you know, you need to land a certain way, foot strike, stuff like that. And what we kind of discovered from clinically and from the research that there wasn't really an injury rate difference. There was an injury type difference, right? You're loading different tissue. But then we also discovered there's not really a performance difference, right? There's there's positive and negatives to each one, depending on what you're doing. But it really comes down to what can the individual handle? So when it comes to contributing factors, There are a couple global things we like to talk about, especially when it comes to both of these things. But we just have to be careful how we say this just because they don't always, you know, especially performance. There's a lot of literature trying to chase performance can be very difficult. And it's the same thing. Injury wise, we're starting to realize how, how multifactorial these things are. I think globally as clinicians and then what we're starting to see in the research, which is, you know, still trying to catch up, especially in running. The big thing that 
seems to be, but we're still that this is kind of being alluded to in the research is making changes too quickly, especially when it comes to injury risks. Again, we're still trying to work on this and tacking this down is really hard. But when it comes to your training, it you should let your body adapt to things. So one of the common things we can see people ending up in our offices or in our clinics is they just did too much too soon before their body was ready, right? You know, running is a high impact activity. It's not necessarily bad for you, but it is something you have to get your body used to doing. And there are some upkeep requirements. And I think that's something that people don't realize is if you're going to run, if you're going to run, especially at a high level, you got some extra additional, you got some requirements. Now, my my research right now um, as a PhD candidate is on master's runners, and that is especially true. As you get older, there's more things you got to work on. You're, you're naturally going to start losing strength quicker. You lose speed. You want to keep that. There is some extra stuff you got to do in terms of mobility and definitely when it comes to strength stuff. And I think the, the literature out there is is OK. Where it's, it's still way behind in terms of injury prevention for strength training. There's been a couple systematic reviews that have, you know, been somewhat positive on that. But I think from a clinical standpoint, making sure your body can handle the loads you're about ready to place upon them is really key. And that might come from appropriate training. It might come from strength training, mechanics, just making sure you're making the right choices on what you're doing on a daily basis and, and getting your body to where it, it can handle those loads is good. It would be obviously remiss if I didn't mention making good choices with running shoes, just making sure you've got a comfortable pair of shoes and making sure you've got the right pair of shoes for you as an individual, trying to figure out what works for you. We're going to talk about running from a broad perspective. We're going to touch on some aspects that are really relevant to people who are performing at a high level. We're also going to talk about some issues that are really relevant for people who like to get out for physical and mental health a few times a week, running on the road or on the trails. So Nathan, the common impairments that you see in the clinic, what are those? And how do you like to address them? Clearly, it's difficult to nail down this stuff because when you look at systematic reviews of running-related injuries, the rates are between like 20 and 70% of runners get injured. So even to nail down who is getting injured is hard, which means that these realms of impairments can be there. Matt mentioned a lot of strength and preparing tendons for loading. And uh, there was in, actually at CSM, there was a good, a really great uh, tendon, Achilles tendon platform that they did. And they looked at the difference in the activation of the calf with slow movement and with running and how the muscle itself stays short, but the tendon is the one going through all the length changes. So appropriate training that prepares you for things like running and the differences in loading in the tendons, that all is going to play a factor. And so appropriate training of things like plyometrics and higher velocity movements is going to also be important. In addition to what Matt talked about with some strength and motion, I do think there are some biomechanical factors that for some people are going to cause problems. As we know, Somebody who runs with certain types of form, they might never get injured. And someone who runs with the exact same form could get injured twice a week. And so that's there's some obvious variability there. But there's a couple that have been pretty consistent. Things like overstriding, where one way you can measure that is through tibial inclination angle. So if you're looking at somebody from a sagittal view and you're looking at how vertical their tibia is as their foot hits the ground, regardless of strike pattern, whether they're landing forefoot or rear foot strike, that that's not important. In addition, looking at what sort of what's called compliance, whether they're falling into a lot of pelvic drop or into knee valgus, again, these things don't necessarily mean injury is coming or is the cause of the injury, but for people in certain situations where that lines up with strength and their pain 
patterns. It's stuff that we look at clinically. And then you start to address those things based on what are the strength deficits that have been measured? What sort of mobility restrictions may they have? And do they all line up together? So it's putting a puzzle together. Matt, you talked about strength and and you mentioned it too, Nathan. I think the obvious place we think about strength is in the calf, but what other areas, big muscle groups are you working on or are you really focused on strengthening? Obviously, the answer is always it depends, right? But, you know, the, we we sp- spend a lot of focus on the calf and Achilles tendon because it is a common area. It's kind of ankle, knee are two really common injuries, injury area locations. The calf also tends to be the primary propulsive muscle during running. And especially when people are trying to run faster, it certainly can be an issue. The next obvious place, and I think this comes with a little bit of bias coming from being trained in Southern California, is a lot of hip strength in terms of proximal control over the lower extremity, as well as being a a very, very important shock absorber. But it would be remiss of me to not mention, obviously, the quadriceps and hamstrings. And I think that's that's that puzzle is the more I've gone through clinical practice and been trained, the more I'm like, you know, there might be areas you might see this more commonly, but you can't miss. You got to look at the whole lower extremity and you can miss things frequently, right, where people, for whatever reason, have very, very, very good glute strength for, and you're like, wow, that's weird. But they, for some reason, have weak quads. More rare, you don't see that as typically. You're, you know, commonly, it's kind of more typical to see, you know, glute weakness, a little bit more calf weakness. But you just got to make sure you check everything. And I think strength is a factor. But one of the challenges we've also seen from the literature is we know that sometimes just strengthening doesn't change your mechanics or doesn't necessarily change your performance, right? Because you're often not moving through the right range of motion. When you go do start doing plyometrics, as Nathan mentioned, yeah, there is some literature where you will start seeing some performance changes and maybe because it's more, it translates more between the two of them. But you just got to look at what the person's missing and it might be strength. It might be mobility. It might be movement, right? It might be some kind of motor control issue. And there's more common things, right? We do see, you know, femoral internal rotation and stuff like that. But as Nathan mentioned, Sometimes you see that and people are doing fine and they're and then there's the other person who's injured, like Nathan said, twice a week. And you're like, what? Where do we fill that gap to figure out why might that person be more at risk? I think something else that that I see clinically that's worth considering is not to, not forgetting previous history of different types of injuries. If someone had an ACL reconstruction 10 years ago, their quad may not be doing the shock absorbing capacity we, we know this as clinicians, too. A lot of times, unfortunately, we don't even return to the strength that we had before, and we kind of just make some assumptions, and then people head back to their life. And then 10 years later, you realize you're you're much weaker than you, you thought you were. So never forgetting things like the quad with previous injury history. That goes into the, like, again, subjective of going, what's their history? Because one of the few things that we know can be really predictive of injury is a previous injury, making sure you're looking at the person instead of making assumptions. Yeah. And that previous history of injury is the thing that just comes up again and again and again, as you said, Matt. Nathan, you talked about monitoring or about other factors. So I guess I that got me to think about load, recovery, nutrition, sleep, all of the other aspects. So can you talk a little bit about how you how does that factor in for you as a clinician? I, I think one of the biggest factors that I see are training errors that, that people are running into. And the way that I usually track to see if there's something that could be going on in their training is looking what I call their training volume. And so I look at how frequently they're running, how many times a week, how long are they running, and what's the intensity of that running. And so breaking down those three factors, a lot of times people are running way too fast. 
That's like one of the biggest things that I see where they might be new to running or they have new goals and they decide, I want to run a half marathon instead of two hours. I want to run an hour 45. And instead of training to get your body there, you start training as though you're there. And so looking at training volume through those three metrics, I think is one of those ways that I've been able to see to see those changes that were extreme enough that led to overload of the tissue. Knowing physiologically it does take our muscles time to recover. We know that tendons need to restructure their collagen fibers after we load them. There's a lot that needs to happen in between and rest is growth. But for people who are runners who we see in the clinic, rest does not feel like growth. Rest feels like I'm getting worse. And if I take a day off, I'm in trouble. And it's that's a huge part of the whole conversation with runners. Yeah, it's a really, really hard thing to do. I can speak from experience and I'll bet both of you can as well. So Matt, what are your tips there? How do you, (laughs) yeah, Matt's pointing to himself for the people who are on the podcast. How do you approach that? How do you convince people that rest recovery is just as important as the, the load that you're putting through your body? So I'll usually ask them, you know, where, where do you think you get better? And, and most people will say, oh, no, I get better, you know, especially the more competitive runners who go, I get better during the actual workout, right? When I'm like, you know, like lying on the track, like dry heaving, that's when I get better. I'm like, well, you know, physiologically, that's actually not how that works. That's actually that you're you're you have done the most damage and you're now actually at your worst is either after the race or after your workout that's when recovery is most important. So that's when we talk about nutrition, sleep, because your body needs to recover from that. Training is a, and then improving is a, is balancing that hard workload with being able to recover enough to be able to get back there or beyond. Right. And so a lot of the clinicians that have, that are listening here, a lot of people understand that kind of that, 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 that upward curve, right. That sinusoidal curve that goes up and down where it's not a straight line, just like rehab, but when it comes to recovery and performance, you you're at a top, you, you injure yourself essentially, right. With the hard training, you, your performance drops, you let your body recover. And that, that rebound is where you actually start getting better. That does not happen without adequate recovery. If you do, and if you don't recover enough, you're actually going to start getting worse and worse and worse. So it's not just how hard can I train, but it's how can I balance training just hard enough but also with that recovery and rehab is exactly the same way, right? We, we always ask ourselves, how do we, how are we going to load this person enough to get them a stimulus that get, and then that they can recover enough to improve, but not so much that we, you know, flared them up, make them worse. So physiologically it's, it's a similar thing and it takes people a while to get that because I think a lot of us have been ingrained. I certainly have, it took me a while to figure that out. It's trying to get them to understand, yes, you can slow down. And believe it or not, you're not going to get slower. And I'll, I'll often tell this story is right before I was leaving for PTs because I, I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and I was very fortunate not knowing at the time to grow up around a lot of really incredible runners and people I got to run with. And before I left, I was training with a couple Ethiopian and Kenyan guys who really taught me a lot about kind of rethinking what training is because they were much more relaxed. When it came to training, they were always late, right? I'd be waiting like 15, 20 minutes for them to show up. And then they were always so chill. You know, I was like, I was like, I have to hit this pace on my easy run. And they're like, dude, chill out. We running, you know, 10 minute miles, the majority of the run. I'm like, what are you doing? And then it, and then finally, after enough of this, when they would, the next day we'd do a workout and I'd just be in the dust and I couldn't even stay anywhere near them. Cause these are all 208, 209 marathoners. It suddenly dawned on me that they didn't have that same nervousness about 
oh, I'm going to get slower if I run slow on my easy day because they're, you know, so tired. They're going, this is my chance to recover. I cannot over push because this is a time for me to relax, get some blood flow. And so that's why Nathan mentioned people are running too fast because I think they're afraid that if they don't run hard all the time, they're going to get slower. But you need to understand that the body doesn't work like that and you need to give it time to recover. And an easy run, an easy jog can be very therapeutic. You just got to make sure you're giving your body the rest it needs. And this also, you know, it's the same thing. You've got to balance that recovery and training because if you don't, if that's out of whack, then you're going to see performance decrements. If you can optimize that and that requires a lot of patience and maturity, that's where you're going to see these these really these consistent growths. But it takes time and it takes consistency and it takes patience. I think getting runners on on board with the idea of rest does take a couple different factors. One is potentially a shift in philosophy of running. And I've talked with running coaches who are really good at this. And I know this podcast, one of the goals is to think about working together as an interdisciplinary team. I think that within running, runners have a team as well. And so if they're somebody who has a coach, their coach may be preaching a very good message that takes runners away from expectations running. Like I said, oh, I need to run a 145. And scaling that back and really thinking more holistically about running. And that can take you away from pushing yourself to the edge. I also think there is that value, like you said, Matt, of education. And if they can understand the physiological reason for an easy run or a day off, those you don't get you don't get faster from an easy run. And that's not the goal. The goal might be loading of tendons. And so if people can get on board with the physiological reasons, that can also be a huge part of it. I also think bringing in conversations about nutrition is huge and having appropriate nutrition and somebody giving advice in that realm can be super helpful, too. And thinking of recovery as growth and getting runners on board with that, I think can help with training errors. I think it was on the Doctors of Running website, actually, that I saw someone's mantra is make your easy days easy and your hard days hard. So it's that very much clear distinction between, as you say, Nathan, why am I doing this? What What is this program or what is this day in my program achieving or setting out to achieve? And it strikes me that this is very much an ongoing conversation. It's not just a one-off session where you have a chat and everybody goes away and goes, oh, I get it now. It's fine. Like I'm going to, now I'm, now I understand. <laughs> this is an ongoing process. That's it for today on running injuries and performance. Check out the show notes for links to recent JOSPT papers on managing stress fractures in runners and the latest evidence on retraining running biomechanics. Next week, Nathan and Matt are back to bring us the lowdown on running shoe technology, what really works and how to help runners choose the best shoe for them. You won't want to miss it, so make sure you hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Okay, we'll catch you next week. listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time.